you will, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 13. We'll begin uh, our reading in just a moment in verse 13. We're going to read uh, through the end of that chapter. And so we're again tackling a, a, a fairly substantial portion of Scripture. Uh, but uh, uh, we want to uh, kind of take a, a summary look at uh, uh, what uh, uh, Paul and his companion Barnabas accomplished there uh, in Antioch on this uh, uh, essentially first of missionary journeys. So again, Acts 13, verse 13. Uh, this is kind of the second look of this, depending on how you outline, depending on how you count them, uh, either the second or third uh, section of the book of Acts. Uh, uh, we begin the book with uh, the Christians there in Jerusalem, uh, the church there, and then we've talked about kind of the transition that went on as de defined and described over the course of several uh, chapters as uh, God uh, in His providence uh, allowed for and even uh, sent uh, persecution upon the church uh, in which uh, uh, they were not discouraged from preaching the gospel. Uh, they just were moved to different locales uh, to preach that very uh, same gospel that uh, was both saving uh, those who heard in Jerusalem and also irritating uh, those in Jerusalem, as the gospel uh, always has uh, want uh, to do. And so uh, we come, and, and the shift, uh, as I've mentioned previously, uh, is from uh, Jerusalem uh, into the uh, furthest parts of the known world, uh, from uh, Peter uh, and uh, his brethren there in Jerusalem uh, uh, to Paul. Uh, and his uh, associates, and uh, his taking the gospel uh, into uh, to places uh, that uh, were really unknown from their uh, perspective as uh, they took advantage of what had been accomplished by both uh, the Greeks in previous centuries with the common language that allowed for communication and even the writing of the New Testament being written uh, in, in Greek. And, and then the, the establishment of, of peace and order and even roads. Uh, sometimes we uh, refer, in fact, uh, there, uh, there's a way of uh, doing personal evangelism. We call it the Roman Road of Salvation which is uh, both an allusion to the book of Romans, but it's also uh, the reality that those early missionaries took advantage of the roads that were built and kept in order by the Romans to travel uh, throughout that Mediterranean basin for the sake of the gospel. And so we're going to see over the course of our study through the balance of the book, we're going to see a number of sermons. I think this would be the, uh, the uh, third uh, sermon from, from the book of Acts and uh, the most extensive from uh, the apostle Paul. And we find that the gospel is the same. Whether he's uh, preaching in the synagogue or whether he's preaching at Mars Hill to the pagans. Uh, it's the same truth of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him raised uh, from the dead. Whether he's in the prison cell at Philippi or in the corridors of power before the Gentile kings. It is the same message. And so we, again, we emphasize and we're bound by that same uh, gospel message concerning the person and the work of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I often think of ter in terms of our context, uh, both in, in kind of, uh, what are we, 21st century people and here in, in Clay, the suburbs of Birmingham. And uh, again, many times I refer to us being on, in the buckle of the Bible belt. 
that there kind of seems to be a bit of a parallel between what might be called the nominally religious Jews that were gathered in the synagogues. Uh, they knew a little bit about the Bible. They knew a little bit about God. Uh, but for the most part, they were living in rebellion against God. And that seems to parallel in many ways the modern church. Uh, people know a little bit about God. They know a little bit about the, the Bible. But their lifestyle suggests that they're living in alienation from God. And so many times, uh, it's very much like what Paul did in the synagogues. We're preaching to kind of a, a superficially religious people, but indeed so many are not even converted. And of course, also as we go out into the world, uh, in Paul's case, the pre-Christian world, so many of the Gentiles had not heard of Jesus Christ. Now we live in what might be called the post-Christian world, uh, or even uh, the neo-pagan world that uh, so many, and you don't even have to get out of the United States of America. Uh, if you go uh, to the coasts, you go to the, uh, the centers of academia, uh, you go to the major cities, and it will not be hard to find those that are completely paganized. My point is what? That it's the same gospel. It is the same truth. It is the same resurrected Jesus. It's the same problem that people are sinners who need a Savior. So let's read this morning. Read with me, beginning in verse 13. Again, as we think about this mission to the Antioch there in Asia Minor in Pisidia. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, uh, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before uh, his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to uh, the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because... They did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfill them by condemning him. 
And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. While they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. And I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For for, so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, and the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for your grace, for your truth, for the power of your gospel, to save. We thank you that indeed that you are the one who forgives sins because of your son Jesus Christ and you offer this salvation, this hope, this promise to all who will believe. Help us this day uh, to understand your truth. We would ask that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds and again help us to apply the great truth of your gospel uh, to our lives. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. We saw in the initial study from chapter 13 uh, the parallel truths that uh, within uh, the church uh, that, that there uh, was the development, the nurturing of those that would be set apart, that would be recognized uh, by the church to be sent out from them. So uh, the church would prepare 
and then they would recognize, and then they would send out these two men that would take the gospel that was being uh, preached uh, there at the church in Antioch, and then they would go uh, out into the world to continue to preach uh, that gospel. And so as much as the church prepared them and the church sent them, we're also told that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. It's kind of, and again, both things are true and both things are important. The importance of a local church and development of those who will proclaim the gospel and equipping them uh, to go out. And then that reminder, if God doesn't go with us, if God doesn't work within us and work for us and uh, work in the hearts of those that would hear, then all is vain that we're wasting our time. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves, that we are dependent upon the grace, the power of God, the working of the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we can do nothing. And so the church sent, the Holy Spirit went with them, and the Holy Spirit utilized them to take the gospel into these places first uh, to Cyprus, then to Antioch. Verses 13 and 14 of our text tells us a bit uh, about that journey. Some of you have, uh, have traveled uh, there in what we sometimes refer to as the Holy Land and those regions in that Mediterranean basin. And maybe you can see in your mind's eye the, the, the travel, uh, uh, the path that these missionaries took. And then we're told there in verse 13, I'm not going to comment a whole lot about it. We'll come back to the same issue in chapter uh, 15. But we're told that John, or John Mark, he leaves the company of the missionaries. We're not told why, uh, but we do know that uh, it's going to cause a, a real issue uh, between Paul and Barnabas. And we'll talk about uh, uh, that uh, later. And so uh, we're set for the first appearance, the first opportunity uh, for these missionaries uh, to proclaim the truth there in Antioch of Pisidia, there in uh, Asia uh, Minor. And we're told that on the Sabbath day, still again observing the Old Covenant uh, regulations, they go to the Jews on the day in which they worshiped on Saturday. Uh, on the Sabbath day, they go into the synagogue and uh, they, they join with them. And, and verse 15 gives us a little bit of insight as to what went on in the synagogue, uh, the reading of the Word of God. One of the things that we are intentional about in our order of service is that we want to read the Word of God. Now, there's a lot of things that I may do wrong when I step into this pulpit. But the one thing that won't be wrong is what? The reading of the Word of God. The Word of God will not be wrong. I can be wrong about the Word of God. Of course, I never think I am. But uh, at any rate... The Word is always right, and it's always right for it to be read. And we see this uh, there within the synagogue, but it is the reminder that even those that have a certain reverence, a certain knowledge, a certain uh, openness to the Word of God can remain in their spiritual blindness, in their spiritual death. That there were those there that, now remember kind of my position, that Yes, indeed, there were people saved under the Old Covenant. How were they saved? They were saved because they offered sacrifices and kept the law, right? Wrong, okay? Wrong. They were saved because they believed God and it was credited to them as righteousness. They were saved by grace through faith just like we are in this day under the New Covenant, okay? And so the Old Covenant saints, when they heard about Jesus because they were regenerate, guess what? Jesus, my Lord and my God. 
they recognized their Savior. And so when they go in the synagogue, there's some that will receive the message and there's some that will reject the message. And those are the ones that, again, were persistent in staying in their spiritual blindness. So we see this reading of the law as part of the service. And then the invitation, again, is a kind of a, a matter of civility there, that if you were something of a, a recognized rabbi, that it wouldn't have been unusual. Remember Jesus going to his hometown. Jesus was already noted as a teacher. Hey, they gave him an opportunity to uh, read the scroll. They wanted to kill him for it, but they at least let him uh, read from the text there. And so they invite uh, the, the reading uh, by these, uh, or again, the commentary, I guess, the, the word of encouragement uh, from Paul. And so Paul uh, stands up and he begins to address them. And notice there, in verse 16, Jews, the men of Israel, okay, people of Israel, and those that are not Jews by birth, but have come to believe at some level in the God of the Bible, who are fully proselytes or God-fearers, or probably a number of different categories, but there were those from the Gentile world that were attracted to what went on within uh, the, uh, the synagogue. And so, Paul begins, and it's interesting here, and sometimes it's a good place to begin when we're preaching the gospel, and particularly doing evangelism. Do you begin with what we agree with, which sometimes is good, or do you just go ahead about what we disagree with? Well, he's beginning with what they agree about, about the God of the Old Covenant, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gives them a bit of a, a, a rehearsal, a restatement, of uh, the history of the nation of Israel there from uh, verses 16 through uh, 41. And he emphasizes there in verse uh, 17 uh, this, this whole idea of how God chose these people, this nation, and he began by the choosing of Abraham. Now, folks, you can argue with me all you want to, but here's Abraham enjoying being a pagan idolater in his homeland and God called him out because God had chosen him. And he calls him, and not because, listen, like so many of the characters of the Bible, there's a lot to criticize about Abraham. And you can go down the whole list of everybody else that's mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament for that fact, even the apostles. But God chose him. It was God's sovereign choice to fulfill my purpose and my plan that I am starting with you. I see all the world living in rebellion against me, and I am going to have a people among whom I will dwell, and so I'm going to start right now with you, Abraham. Now, I'm not saying there weren't people. There were God's people before Abraham, but God begins a peculiar and particular program with the patriarch uh, Abraham by his own uh, sovereign choice. And so he tells us about that. He moves forward uh, from uh, the journey through the wilderness, the exodus. Really an interesting uh, thing there in verse 19. I don't want to throw you a curve. It just did catch my attention. But look at verse 19. Again, rehearsing the history there of, uh, of, of Israel. And we, we see... Uh, this, uh, this, this phrase here, in, excuse me, it's verse 18. He put up with them. He put up with the nation. And I noticed this in John MacArthur's commentary. There's actually kind of a debate about what uh, the word should be. Is the word he cared for them, which is true, or does, is the word, and it's two different words, in other words, it's a textual, what we call a textual issue, 
And he says that kind of the evidence is equally divided. He, he put up with them or he cared for them. Well, both are true. He cared for them. And I trust me, <laughs> if you all know the story, he put up with them. Okay? Just, just kind of an interesting nuance there to this, and it, it caught my attention. And, you know, you can, you can look it up, and you can look at your text apparatus in your Bible. It may note something of the issues uh, surrounding it. It's not a question. It threatens inerrancy, infallibility, inspiration. It's just a thing. But Paul goes on to explain. He moves forward from the wilderness to the time of the judges through Saul, how God worked for 450 years, how he had a particular program uh, in mind. And then uh, the people uh, demand uh, a king uh, to be something like the nations around them. And so he gives them a, a survey of 900 years of Jewish history, beginning in verse 22 through verse 25. And so as he, he gets to there, he has something to say about the history of Israel. But now he's going to begin to drill down on King David, on the importance of this particular king whose name was David. He notes the, the failure, the futility of Saul, who, again, really looked like a king. He was a big studly kind of guy. Everybody wants to follow him in battle. David, not so much. The distinction being David was a man after God's own heart. Now, what in the world does that mean? We know about David. We know the depth of his sin, but if nothing else, David was a man quick to acknowledge his sin. He was a repentant man. And so God chose David to be the house, the, the line from which he would continue his program of redemption, uh, namely in bringing from that family uh, the one whose name is uh, Jesus Christ. And so from David until John appeared, he surveys and summarizes there, and he mentions that John uh, gained a certain kind of notoriety, but he emphasized what? I'm not the one. There's one coming after me, and that one, his name is Jesus Christ. And so there in verse 26, he kind of comes back again. Brothers, now that doesn't mean He's talking to Christians, okay? He's just speaking of my fellow countrymen there. Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the promised fulfillment to Abraham, the message of the promised son of David, the message of the one who shall be a king, who shall rule in righteousness and reign forever. This is the one. This is the one in whom there is the message of salvation. And they heard it in Jerusalem and they hated him for it. And they crucified him. Now if you forget everything else that I say today, and I know some of you will, and I know who you are. And I'll be coming to talk to you this week, okay? To remind you of what I've said. Look there in verse 30. And I do not mean to be off color. Two words. We used to have a sign out here on Old Springville Road with these two words on it. And underneath it, the most important words in the English Bible. Just, just look it up and see how many times. The Jews hated Jesus and they murdered him. And then they buried him. But God raised him from the dead. Amen. 
But God raised His Son as He promised. God raised His suffering sovereign. God raised the one who rules and reigns forever. God raised the King of kings and the Lord of lords from the dead. Now, I often say this. I've said it at funerals fairly often. I said it yesterday, something along uh, these lines. Uh, if y'all want to debate me, is there a God? Is the, is the Bible true? Is, you know, Jesus and da-da-da. All these things. You, you know, you're a high-minded intellectual. You think you really know something. I'll talk to you. Now, you'll be wrong, but I'll talk to you. But if you come up and say to me, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm never going to die. Be thankful I've got my cell phone. I'll dial 911 very quickly for you and get you the help you need. Because, again, listen, all of these, the, Jesus being raised from the dead is the trump card. That is, it proves there is a God, that the Bible is true, and Jesus is who He says it is, and there is salvation in His name and no other name. He is the only name given among men by which we must be saved. And He proved it by de de defeating sin, hell, and the grave by being raised from the dead. And we proclaim the forgiveness of sin in His name. Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is the Savior. He's defeated death. Sin has been atoned for. His righteous life is vindicated. And it is true. It is real. It is powerful. A lot of times we get hung up in all of these debates. And it's okay. I'm, I'm kind of into that kind of thing. But I, I had to look this up. I, I thought it was C.S. Lewis that said this. But the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said something along these lines. You don't have to defend a lion. You just set him loose. So let me tell you something. You just set loose the Word of God which tells us about the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that will do its work. Because God's word, what? Does not return void. God will send it forth and it will accomplish the purpose for which he attended it. And so, Paul comes back after presenting Jesus as the Christ, the resurrected Son of God, and he offers there in verse 40. Beware. Beware. Don't reject. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish. That is a quote, actually. And notice there it continues, For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you now. Is course Keith? I was going to help Keith here just a little today. Keith, I, you know, I don't feel sorry for Keith Mullins very often. But now I'm always nice to him. But um, he had to do in one hour or 45 minutes the whole book of Ezekiel. Now, here's how I would have done it. I don't know what that means. 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 Oh, wait a minute. There's something I know what that means. I mean, tough, tough book. Big book. Long book. Well, his next one is Habakkuk. And there's a quote from Habakkuk. What's, what's the prophet saying? God has told me, you're not going to believe what I'm about to do. You're not going to believe this. I'm going to let the Babylonians raise the city of Jerusalem. I'm going to let them kill thousands of people, and I'm going to let them take so many out of the land that, that the land will be de so depopulated that it, they will live in poverty. You're not going to believe. But it's a part of my plan.
plan. God is capable of doing some pretty shocking things sometimes. Things that you may not approve of, but God didn't ask your permission. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so, beware, listen, hear this message. The psalmist wrote it this way. Kiss the son lest he be angry. You perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Wake up, smell the coffee, pay attention, repent, and believe is the English vernacular translation of that. Well, let's move forward. Move forward to verses of 45 and following. What we see here upon the preaching of the gospel is both reception and rejection. And so, and, and notice here in verse 42, this is interesting. They begged them after preaching this message, which had a, had a, a little pointedness to it. They begged them to come back. Kind of strange sometimes. Sometimes people think they want to hear the truth, and then upon second thought, they don't like it as much as they thought they did. Okay, it's not an unusual response. Okay, yeah, I like that. Uh, oh, no, no, wait a minute. No, I don't. Oh, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that I'm a sinner and that I need to repent? And there's only one way to heaven. The only, there's only one way that sins can be forgiven, and, and it's through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, I don't like that very much, second thought. That's what happened here. They, they invited them back, and, and, and again, what did they say? And I'm going to be, okay, I'm going to be my cynical, sarcastic self, okay? Notice what they didn't say. All you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart. They didn't say that. Okay? What they called upon them to do was they urged them to continue in the grace of God, to continue to go to the Word of God, to think about the gospel of God, and to pray that the imperishable seed of the new birth would take root deep in their heart, and God would open their heart, and would open their mind, and they would be saved. He didn't give them some simplistic, meaningless thing that does as much damage as it does good all too frequently. And so, so they go back, and they have a big crowd. Imagine that. And it says the Jews were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. They began to criticize him and revile them. And so, what did Paul and Barnabas do? Verse 48, they spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Now notice how he phrases this, and again, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That's the way the gospel works. It goes to the Jew first. And you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, I have what some thinks is a little different view if you're in heaven or if you're sitting here today and your sins are forgiven it is surely and only by the grace of God you have no credit you have nothing to brag about that when you stand before God he says why should I let you into heaven please 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 don't tell him about how the good stuff you've done and all the bad things you've avoided because he'll tell you go straight to hell do not pass go and do not collect two hundred dollars he will tell you, the answer is, I am trusting 
in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my only hope for eternal salvation. That's all the only thing I ever had in this life, and it's surely the only thing I've got in the next life. Okay? And, and so, but here's the thing. If you're sitting here today and your sins haven't been forgiven, you have not been born again, you only have yourself to blame. And if you go to hell, you will only have yourself to blame. You will have judged yourselves unworthy for whatever, and I wish I had time to unpack all of that. I'm not, but it's your fault. It is your fault and your fault alone. And we can talk about the God of this age blinding the minds of unbeliever. We can talk about God hardening Pharaoh's heart and all that stuff, and it is all true. But let me tell you something. Please be, be sure you understand this. Your unbelief, your being unconverted is your fault. And you need and you must. You must go. You must continue in the grace of God. Well, what do I do? This is what you got right here. You go to it and you dig into it and you let it dig into you. See, that's what. See, we love digging into it. But what? Don't look at me spiritual because I know you. You don't like it digging into you. Right? And all God's people said amen. Because I don't like it either. You, you, know, you know what I say. Now, I love to talk about your sin. I'll enjoy, it's a hobby. Okay? I mean, I, I love. Man, if I could rake you over the coals, it makes me feel so much better about myself. It does. Oh, I love it. I love it. Not so wild about talking about mine. I'd just soon avoid it. Y'all looking at me spiritual again. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. So there were problems. Now notice this, and I said this, look at verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It didn't say those who believed were appointed to eternal life. Notice the word order. God's sovereign election was determinative that at the time and place of his choosing, they would hear the gospel, God would open their heart, and they would unfailingly believe the truth of the gospel. They were converted, they're saved, they're saved their sins were forgiven. All of these things. Because God had appointed them to eternal life. They didn't appoint themselves. God appointed them to eternal life. And so, verse 49 and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Was there opposition? Yeah. Those nominal Jews were pretty upset about it. Those superficially spiritual pagans were pretty upset about it. Didn't matter. The word of God was going forth. These bold missionaries were taking the gospel. And, and, and people that were hearing these missionaries, you know, they, they were going around talking about it. They were telling other people. They were starving beggars telling other starving beggars, beggars where they found bread. And so the gospel was going forth. What did Paul and Barnabas do upon this inciting of rebellion uh, against them? And notice here, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Again, uh, the whole kit and caboodle was going to rise up against them. Verse 51, I've told you the truth. You've had your opportunity. They wiped the dust. In the Old Covenant, the, old, the, old, the idea was don't even bring the dust from the Gentile territory into the holy land of God. So I've told you. 
I have dispatched my responsibility. I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, I will go wherever God sends me to continue to preach the gospel. Now, the missionaries left, but, but look there in verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, did, did they hate that what happened happened? That, that, the, that the, the trials and the troubles and the tribulations that were going to follow and proceed, actually, Paul, for the rest of his life, had started. Yeah, I'm sure they, they were troubled by that. But the joy of the Lord, the joy of his gospel, the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the crucified, the knowledge of the triumphant King of Kings, the triumphant Lord of Lords, the, the King who shall rule and reign forever in righteousness, that knowledge was the source of an overwhelming, a transcendent, a permeating joy that allowed them to live and allowed them to, to be persecuted, to, to have their brothers and their sisters and their parents and their colleagues and their friends and all these people look at them and say, I don't want anything to do with you. If, if you think that there's something about this peasant carpenter boy that got himself killed by those Romans, if you think that's something better than what we offer you with all of this long-standing, centuries-old morality and ritual of Judaism, then I don't want anything to do with you anymore. But they joyfully, like so many before them and so many after them, they counted it a privilege to suffer for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, there in Antioch, back on the kind of the mainland there, the synagogue got blown up. Word of God will do that sometimes. Word of God shakes some folks up. It brings comfort, but it'll also bring folks to a crisis. That's its, that is its design, and that is, that is its purpose. And so, we too are the disciples that are the, rem the remnant that have been deeply impacted, deeply infected by the Word of God and my encouragement that we would continue, even in the days that I think are fairly adverse, seem like they're going to get worse, at least in our short-term projection of the future. It's going to be more difficult. We still shall and we must live with joy and with the fullest expression and experience of the person and work of God's Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent again as the seal, the guarantee that when he said it was finished, guess what? It was finished. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the goodness of your grace for the truth and the reality of your gospel, for its power in any and all circumstances. Lord, may we be found faithful. And as we come to this time, to your table, indeed, a time of sober reflection, a time of eager anticipation, a time in which we are reminded of what Jesus did for us, that indeed, he paid it all. And it is all to Him that we joyfully owe the reality that our sins are forgiven and that death is defeated by Him for us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.